Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 28 of Retro Hangover. Internet. Welcome to the Retro Hangover Podcast. I am your co-host, Chris Copeline, and here today we are selling scintillating shite, since selling out sounded scandalous, saying some sounds, sipping sinful salient solvents, sometimes surviving severing shutdowns. Here's the podcast you are not a red lowercase e for, Retro Hangover. I'm your co-host, again, Chris Copeline, and as always, I am joined by your host, the shocker, Shane Kosky. Yeah, that that's a shocker with the um the foam fingers that you get from Dane Cook shows. Just just to be clear, I was thinking a lightning bolt. <laughs> I was not. <laughs> You're a dirty, dirty, dirty person, Shane. I just I don't know what to do with you. Listen, there's there's a reason that you you and I are friends. Okay, don't don't pretend to be all pious on me. Don't don't start that now. I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Willful ignorance. Okay. Of course. That's fine. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. we're all pure pure little children here. In any case, today uh, we are going to be talking about things. But before that, things. of course, we're going to be talking about things. How stupid is that? Anyway, uh, before <laughs> that, how have you been, Shane? Uh, you've been pretty busy lately. Uh, I I have been busy. Yeah. Um. So, let's see. At this point, I don't even remember what we have and have not done since the last time we uh, put our episode out. But um, the the most important one, I guess, would be uh, we we took a little trip to to Denver to to the west coast of the contiguous United States of America, and um, it was the first time that I went skiing, so I didn't Impressive. die. Yeah, I, I'm here. Um, turns out, I'm actually not that bad at it. Um, I, I kind of surprised myself, to be honest. Um, but I guess some of that ice hockey experience kind of translates over pretty well. So um, I, I had like a, a beginner's lesson in the morning on like the first day we were there at the slopes. And honestly, like after about, I think, an hour or two, um, I kind of picked it up well enough that <laughs> the uh, the instructor who is younger than me, who's a, a ski dude, he was like super chill. Yeah, bro. Um, yeah, basically, like the you know the stereotypical skier dude. Um, but he was a cool guy, and he was just like, "Hey, um, you seem to be doing all right. You want to like go help out these these other people who are just falling on their face?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah, I guess." So I was like an honorary instructor. So I guess that was kind of cool. Hey, Brock, can you totally do these things? I'm getting paid for right now. I have some total weed to smoke. <laughs> I mean, he is within his legal right. Chris, uh, I'm so. not I'm not looking down on him about it. In fact, I was going to ask you two questions. One, were you high while you were skiing? And two, was your instructor high while he was pretending to teach you to help to ski? Uh, so uh, the answer to part A is no, because I feel like that would have gone far more poorly than it actually did. Uh. Um, and and part B, debatable. I'm going to go with probably yes. Okay. Probably yes. At least a little bit. Yeah. I mean, again, it is within their legal rights to do so. That That is true. Yes. But uh, but no, Denver was was really nice. Um, technically, it was a little bit outside of Denver. It was in the Keystone area. But uh, 
It was really beautiful. The weather was awesome for it. The first day, it was kind of lightly snowing all day long, so we had a lot of good powder. Um, and then the second day, it was nice and clear, so we got a lot of good views. Um, and anybody that's been uh, following our Instagram page, which if you're not, you should, then um, you, you would have seen that I was heading out that direction and luckily did not get killed by a Yeti. So hooray for me. But what did you do at the Yeti? Was it shocking? <laughs> Well, that's between me and the Yeti, Chris. I, I, okay. I, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think just seeing the Yeti would be shocking. Hmm. So what about you, Chris? What have you been doing? Uh, nothing. I guess that would be excellent. Anyway. (laughs) Um, uh, so before I get into what I did over, uh, I guess the past two weeks, I just want to say we got a lot more people liking our post and a few more people liking our page this week on Facebook. So if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, Welcome. Enjoy your company. Look forward to your continued patronage and listening to the podcast. Uh, we're always appreciative of anyone who listens to this, so thank you. Uh, second of all, I completed a, you know a game called Final Fantasy IX. Never heard of it. I I, I know you haven't. Uh, you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but I beat it, and uh, if we do an episode on it, I will share my full feelings on it. It's probably different. Uh, than what you probably would have assumed from listening to my previous reactions from it slightly. But mm. like I said, we'll we'll get more into that later. And I've been playing another game, which I'm not going to say what it is because it has to do with our episode next week. So I will keep that one to myself. Well, not next week, but eventually. W- would you say, Chris, that the uh, the game you were playing that, that shall not be named, would it uh, would it be perhaps uh, simple and and maybe maybe clean? Well, it's one of those. Hmm. Okay. That doesn't seem that's to fair. please you. It it doesn't, but that's fine. Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have been playing that game, and if you've been looking at what our episodes are, uh, then you can probably infer what that show will be. But I'm not going to say it because, you know, just because. In any case, that leads us to this week's topic. And what are we talking about this week, Shane? So this week, um, as I think we might have alluded to in a a comment on our own Instagram post at some point, which is the best place to talk about these things. It's very obscure. You have to be a, you have to be a true fan to find them, you know? Um, but, uh, we are talking about the history of Square Enix or more specifically Square, because there was a time when they didn't have that second half of the moniker. So, uh, with that in mind, Chris, why don't you uh, take it away with uh, a little bit of history about Square? Ask any fan of Japanese RPGs, heck, even those who aren't, who the premier maker of said genre is, and you'll probably get an almost unified answer. Squaresoft. Some may say Square, Enix, or just Square, but the gist is the same. No other company has the reputation within the Japanese role-playing game genre in the West, almost synonymous with the mere mention of that gameplay style itself, and the Western console gamers in the 90s and early noughties, synonymous with the entire role-playing genre itself. The origins of Square start in October of 1983. They started out as a computer game software division of Denyusha, a Japanese powerline construction company. Masafumi Miyamoto, son of the owner of Den Yusha, helmed the division, where he believed in putting a team in charge of development of software as opposed to a single single programmer per game. (laughs) 
a new concept at the time. <laughs> Did I just say that like a Japanese guy? Is that why you're laughing? <laughs> a singer. <laughs> a singer? <laughs> oh, never mind. I'm moving on. Square would put its first game, The Death Trap, out in October 31st, 1984, for the PC-8801, Japanese PC system. Developed by part-time employees Hironobu Sakaguchi and Hiromichi Tanaka, The Death Trap was a text-based adventure set in the Cold War in the 1980s, and was successful enough to warrant a sequel and several follow-ups. Square would release or publish several games for the NES and Japanese PCs, including notable ones such as Thexter and King's Knight, before becoming their own company in September of 1986. After officially becoming their own company, Square began to focus more heavily on the successful Famicom, or as we know it here in the United States, Nintendo Entertainment System, releasing notable games such as 3D World Runner and Rad Racer. Despite having a fairly diverse set of games, Square was not finding the success it wanted or needed to become sustainable. After seeing the success of the RPG Dragon Quest from future rival and partner Enix, Square decided they wanted an RPG of their own. Hironobu Sakaguchi, by this time a full-time employee and major designer, decided to take the helm and make a game heavily inspired by wizardry in Ultima. As the legend goes, Square's financial situation and Sakaguchi's passion for gaming were threatening to come to an end. So after getting denied the name Fighting Fantasy, the name Final Fantasy was settled on. Released in December of 1987, and as many of you know, this game went on to be a big success, selling approximately 520,000 copies in Japan alone. Following the release of Final Fantasy, Square began to focus almost exclusively on role-playing game development for Nintendo consoles, and would stay with Nintendo exclusively through the mid-90s. Final Fantasy would see two sequels on the Famicom, and three more on the SNES, with Final Fantasy V becoming a breakout smash hit for Square in Japan, and Final Fantasy VI being known as one of the best RPGs of all time. Other notable series created during this time were Saga, which started on the Game Boy and moved on to the Super Famicom, never came to the US, and as we know it as Final Fantasy Legend. Uh, Seiken Densetsu for the, started on the Game Boy as well, as we know as the Secret of Mana series. Front Mission, and of course Chrono Trigger, which is one of the most beloved games ever released. The relationship with the Nintendo would soon come to an end, however, as Nintendo's overall stubbornness when it came to keeping its media format cartridges instead of CDs drove Square running to Sony and its fledgling PlayStation. This, of course, would lead to the development and release of perhaps Square's most important game, Final Fantasy VII. With its flashy CG full-motion videos and, at the time, amazing 3D visuals, Final Fantasy VII was loved by critics and users alike, selling 9.8 million copies worldwide and the second best-selling PlayStation game of all time. The release was huge for the Japanese role-playing game genre as a whole, which had been relegated to a mostly niche market in the United States. Square, who had kept many of their games locked to the Japanese market, began releasing more of their library to Western gamers. And what a library they had. Square of the late 90s went on a tear, releasing sequels to Final Fantasy and previously mentioned series. It released fan-loved games such as Final Fantasy Tactics, Einhander, Bushido Blade, Brave Fetzer Musashi, Parasite Eve, Vagrant Storny, and Xenogears. Square was an undeniable powerhouse in the games industry and a partnership with Electronic Arts in 1998 made it look like they could not be stopped moving into the generation of the PlayStation 2. Despite all of this success, Square actually began losing money thanks to huge risks like the critically panned and overly ambitious Final Fantasy movie in 2001, causing a huge shakeup within the company. During this time, Square was looking to merge with rival Enix 
the second most successful JRPG company at the time, but had to be put on hold until Square could show it could operate in the black. After successful releases of Final Fantasy X and Kingdom Hearts, which was a major collaboration between Squaresoft and Disney, Square and Enix merged to become, well, Square Enix, which became official in April of 2003. Since then, the company has remained the JRPG behemoth it had been, even picking up other companies like Eidos and Taito along the way, and making men's with Nintendo eventually releasing games on their systems again. And that is your not-so-brief history of Squaresoft? Alright, ladies and moogles, it is now time for bonus fun facts. So, did you know... The original concept for Final Fantasy VII was ultimately deemed too dark and would end up becoming what we now know as Xenogears. To add further salt to the wound, the budget for Xenogears was allegedly cut in favor of Final Fantasy VIII. Because Xenogears failed to meet sales expectations, Square refused to sink any further resources into the series, causing Tetsuya Takashi to leave the company. Had this not happened, the world would not have gotten Xenosaga and Xenoblade Chronicles. Final Fantasy Tactics was inspired by a somewhat lesser-known property, Tactics Ogre. Square owns the Tactics Ogre IP due to their purchase of a smaller company known as Quest Corporation. Several former Quest Corporation employees joined Square to develop FF Tactics. Because Square Enix acquired Taito Corporation, as Chris mentioned, they are now the owners of some notable arcade titles, including Space Invaders, Bubble Bobble, and Darius. This was a tactical move by Squeenix, as they had no arcade presence at all prior to the Taito purchase and wanted to compete in that space against the likes of Sega, Namco, Capcom, and Konami. Boo! Konami. The entity known today as Square Enix Europe is, in all actuality, IDOS Interactive. If that name sounds familiar, that's probably because you may be acquainted with such gaming IPs as, oh, maybe Tomb Raider, or Deus Ex, or Hitman, or perhaps even Legacy of Kane. Uh, Squeenix purchased IDOS uh, as a subsidiary and then renamed them to Square Enix Europe in order to simplify and streamline their corporate structure. Finally, you may be interested to know that the Square Enix merger was really more of Enix assimilating Square, as Enix was the far more financially stable company at the time. Enix was looking for some much-needed brand recognition outside of Japan, and Square was the answer. To further illustrate this point, the majority of the executive team at Square Enix are actually former Enix employees, not Square. Additionally, have you ever noticed what Square Enix uses as its abbreviated logo? That's right, it's a capital E. Those are some interesting facts. It definitely shows how much that company has changed since its inception and its humble beginnings as making games like Rad Racer and King's Knight. Yeah, man. And now they've like cornered the market on spiky hair and um, unwieldy large swords. So there you go. Yes. And they've shown signs of being douchebag publishers when you have your third best selling game ever in company history, not meeting sales expectations. What? Whatever are you talking about? Oh, Tomb Raider. Oh, like the, right. The, the, the Tomb Raider reboot. And it sold like the third most amount of copies in their entire company's history. And they complained about it. But that's that's modern Square Enix. So moving <laughs> on, say, let's talk to, about the to good be fair, Square Enix. That's, I say to be fair, that's also kind of just endemic in the in the gaming industry as a whole. That's not just Squeenix. But. It's all toxic. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Not saying it's bad. It's just toxic. So Chris, uh, uh, I'm going to be honest here, and I think 
any of our longtime listeners and people that, that know us in the RL probably know that I do not have nearly as much experience with square properties as, as you do, or at least not, not at the, at the time when they were, uh, when sure. they were so fresh and so clean, clean. So, uh, tell me a little bit about your, your personal experience with, uh, with square. Okay. Uh, fair enough. If you have an hour and a half, I'll be here. So, um, <laughs> I'll try to keep it short. Of course. Um, I would say my first square game, I didn't even know it was a square game because it was Rad Racer, mm. which came over, you know, as a Nintendo game, which if you haven't played Rad Racer, it's rad. It's, it's it is rad. I would say <laughs> I, 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 I'm not trying to sound like I'm hesitant because this is true. Rad Racer is better than Outrun on the Sega Master System. It's head and shoulders above it. It's it's an amazing, fun game. Mm, uh, go go and play it. Yeah, I think it's better not run on the on the on the master system. Genesis and arcade, well, that's a different discussion. But on the master system, yeah, it's best definitely better. But um, so that was my first Square game technically. But I would say when I was around the age of eight or nine, uh, I started playing Final Fantasy, mm-hmm. the original for the Nintendo, and I loved that game because I could create my own party and I put everything together, like two warriors and two white mages, or just any amalgamation of whatever the heck I wanted to go out and adventure with and. Even as an eight, nine-year-old, I was able to make it to Lich. Uh, don't think I made it ever any further than that just because I want to be like, okay, I want to make a new party again. That was just my mentality. I always like starting that game over for some stupid-ass reason. So after that, of course, uh, my next game was Final Fantasy three. of course, Final Fantasy VI, um, and really started getting more into RPGs. So I really started going after the Square Library for the SNES, uh, even you know concluding with Super Mario RPG, which is a fantastic game. Uh, really, really hyped for that. And then, of course, Final Fantasy VII came out, and I felt like my entire niche and hobby was being invaded by by dude bras. And it- <laughs> uh, here it is, the, the JRPG hipster. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, looking back on it, I, I'd realize how, how stupid of an idea that was because, of course, you want more and more people to join your genre because all of a sudden the floodgates open in every single RPG because it wasn't called R- JRPGs back then just RPGs. Every single RPG that had been locked in Japan just started coming over. Um, who knows if we would have gotten games like Xenogears or uh, Parasite Eve or a lot of the games I mentioned before if it wasn't for Final Fantasy VII. And no, man. I mean, obviously the proper response is to just, you know, hoard your favorite things like, like, a, like a greedy dragon, right? That's what you're supposed to do. Right, or like microtransactions, hoard contact, hoard content until people give you money for microtransactions. That's another thing. But um, gaming industry. I, I I wasn't making any illusions at all. Anyway, um, that generation for SquareSoft was amazing. It was an amazing time to be a gamer, and I was all in on anything Square. Of course, I was all in on anything JRPGs because I was kind of a weeb back then. Well, more of a weeb back then, and uh, so I was, I was in, like, "Why are you talking in the past tense?" Yeah. Uh, so everything was great. Um, moving into the PlayStation 2 era, of course, uh, continued to be invested in Square properties, continued to be that weird bitterness, especially like Final Fantasy X. I was so upset about Final Fantasy X. And if we, you know, when we get to the Final Fantasy IX episode, I'll talk about that more and how that was weird because Final Fantasy X ended up being probably my second favorite Final Fantasy of all time. But kept up with Square, you know, religiously, even after the merger with Enix, which I was super excited for because I love the Dragon Quest series. And, um... Yeah, I've just been super dedicated to keeping up with Square uh, most of my gaming life, just being a JRPG 
fan and being very, very attracted to that genre. And even after a lot of the developers left, like uh, uh, Sakaguchi and Uematsu and uh, Yoshitaka Mano, you like I would keep their stuff with like Mistwalker and everything like that just because of the games that they gave me in the 90s and how much fun I had with it. Um, so that's that's kind of where I'm at with Square and how I'm a big fan of pretty much a lot of the things they did, even though I recognize not everything's perfect, of course, and there are some you know big time flaws in a lot of their games. But for the most part, almost anything they released, uh, I was playing and enjoying and probably, you know, uh, psychopathically defended as a fan at one point. So how about you, Shane? <laughs> um, so I kind of went into the, the the realm of Square Enix in probably the most ass backwards way possible. Um, I, I, I went in in the opposite direction as you and... I honestly, I didn't really have any exposure to their IPs at all. Um, at least not directly. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but at least not directly for the better part of my life, actually. And, but the thing is, is their, their properties, particularly Final Fantasy, are so ubiquitous that it's kind of hard to not know at least something about them right uh if you're if you're at all involved in in the the gaming community um it's it's kind of hard to actually avoid it so you know I, I knew i knew what a moogle was and i knew cloud and the some of the other characters and i knew the the big thing about what happens with sephiroth and ff7 and i never even played the damn game but these are just things that you kind of I don't know, I guess pick up through osmosis or something. But um, I, I went in it, in, like I said, in a completely different direction where um, I want to say that I believe my first real experience with anything Square-related um, was Final Fantasy Tactics, but not even the first one. It was actually um, Tactics Advance. Mm, that's pretty late. Yeah. That's really late. It is. It's really late. Um, but I, I that was really the first one that I had picked up. I hadn't played any Final Fantasy game at all, or most of their actually any of the other stuff in their catalog either. Um, I, I I guess most of that time I was more of just a straight up Nintendo properties kind of person. Either that or or PC gaming, of course. Um, but yeah, FF Tactics Advance was really the first one that I dug into. I spent a lot of time in that game and completed it. And, um, I think from there, let's see, I feel like there was a pretty big gap, really. Um, I probably didn't get into anything until like record keeper on my phone. Um, Holy shit. and then after, yeah. And then after that, I, uh, I ended up picking up, uh, you know, one of the remastered copies of final fantasy four. Is that the um, one with the 3d visuals? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. So I I played that one all the way through. Um, so that was technically the first mainline Final Fantasy game that I ever played and also completed. And then after that, it's mostly... I had some exposure to FF7, but honestly, and I know I've said this before on previous episodes, I'll get skewered for this by some folks, I'm sure, but I'm just I'm not really that big of a fan of that game at all. Um, I like the characters, but the actual game itself, I feel, leaves a lot to be desired, but maybe that's just me. 
Um, Maybe you should have an FF7 episode. We, you know, actually, we we probably will. And speaking of that, um, there's a very high chance that we will have a a guest speaker, actually, on that one. So um, look forward to that. But, um, yeah, that one was eh. I I really could take that one or leave it. But um, I think Dissidia Final Fantasy Opera Omnia, the um, unnecessarily long title for a mobile game, has been the other one that I've kind of dove really deep into. I'm still playing it now, so uh, that's most of my mobile gaming time is spent grinding characters in that game. So, And then, of course, you know... I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention FF9 because Chris is going to murder me over the microphone if I if I don't bring that up. You, you don't um, have to bring it up. It's not like I, I love the game to death, but you know I'd murder you for it. Yeah, no, you know, <laughs> yes. it's, it's fine. Yes. And, you know, maybe because we might be talking about it later, you know, whatever. But um, Because yeah, I'm so forcing I'm, you I'm, to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at gunpoint, too. <laughs> but, no, I mean, it's it's... It's it's not that bad. I'm actually I'm enjoying it. I'm just I'm taking my sweet ass time getting through it. I'm not even finished with disc one yet. Oh shit. Yeah, I know. You were at the end of disc one two and a half weeks ago. Yeah. And then like things happened, man, and I'm still there. <laughs> Jesus. Uh but that's honestly that that kind of encapsulates most of my square experience. Like I really haven't um gotten into a lot of their other stuff, really. Um, and like, like I said, it took me forever to get into Final Fantasy, but I'm glad that I have because I've actually enjoyed everything that I've played so far. I mean, as you mentioned, Chris, there, there are some things that are, that, that could be done better perhaps. Um, and you know, we'll talk about that like in the FF9 episode later on. Of course. Um, There's some mechanical things that I really don't enjoy. Um, like, you know, maybe random battles, for instance. But uh, let's see. Yeah, I think that's about it. But what about Kingdom Hearts? What about Kingdom Hearts, Chris? I don't know. What about it? Actually, you know what? Um, I, I didn't mention it when you finished your, your history about Square. But um, now that you're bringing that up, I feel that Kingdom Hearts is the reason that Square Enix is still around today. That's what I gathered from that, that Kingdom Hearts is the savior. I would say Final Fantasy X was the savior. The light and the darkness, Chris. The darkness being Kingdom Hearts. No, the darkness is the darkness. The, the, the light is the heartless. Final Fantasy X. Um, <laughs> Everyone is Xehanort, Chris. Oh, God. We're not, we're not talking about that today. <laughs> Fine. Okay, you know what? You could talk for like an hour and a half about Square. I could talk for an hour and a half about Kingdom Hearts, okay? You'll get you want your... me to start going into like the relationship like chart? About how those characters even know each other, or the fact that half of them are just the same person. Yeah, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. I'm all, yeah. I'm all about yeah. it. I'm sure. I'm... Look forward to our Kingdom Hearts episode, everybody, because that shit's gonna be crazy. Oh my god! <laughs> but just, just going back to, to talking about how important Square is, and, and you said like how ubiquitous, ubiquitous SquareSoft became, especially with the release of Final Fantasy VII. Uh, yeah. It's when I look at the sales numbers for Final Fantasy VII, and by no means this is not a Final Fantasy VII episode, uh, but you do have to stress Final Fantasy VII when you talk about SquareSoft, just because of what it did for SquareSoft internationally. Uh, sure. When, when, you, when I say when I see it sold like 9.8 million copies uh, and being the second best-selling game of all time for the system, the best-selling game was Gran Turismo, and it sold something like 10.6 million copies, somewhere around there. The thing people have to realize is that Gran Turismo was also a packing game. Right. At one point. Final Fantasy VII was never a packing game. 
That means that that's 9.8 in and 9.8 million independent purchases for Final Fantasy VII. Like, didn't come bundled with the console. It wasn't something mommy or daddy went to the store and saw a PlayStation for Timmy and decided just happened to come with Gran Turismo. You know, like Wii Sports did for the Wii. That's why it sold like 83 million copies, right? Or why Super Mario Brothers has, you know, 45 million copies sold. Like, this is 9.8 individual copies that people said they wanted this game. That's huge. So what I, what I'm hearing is that um, Gran Turismo is the Wii Bowling of the PlayStation era, except much better because Gran Turismo is amazing, uh, or it was at the time. Uh, excuse you, sir. Wii Bowling is a gem. Thank you very I much. I mean, everyone had fun with Wii Bowling, so I can't. I guess I can't knock on it. I, I even I had fun. Look forward to our episode about e- Wii Bowling. Shane. In any case, <laughs> <laughs> in any case, like when I look at when I look at Final Fantasy VII and what it did. You can make the argument Diablo could have done it um, just because of the popularity that did come with Diablo or a Blizzard title would have. Because like we discussed in the Diablo episode, a lot of the Blizzard titles made their way to console gamers. But mm-hmm. when you look at what Final Fantasy VII did for the RPG genre and how pretty much after Final Fantasy VII came out, you just saw all these JRPGs that almost would have never seen the light of day in the United States come out. Like Tales of Destiny came over here. Thousand Arms came over here. I've talked about Azure Dreams for the uh, that Konami had. That would have never came over here. Sui Koden probably would have stayed over there. Um, Breath of Fire 3 probably wouldn't have seen the light of day from Capcom. They may have given up on it if it wasn't like for Final Fantasy VII success. So you see a lot of games that came out after that, and the RPG genre became bigger. I would even argue that PC gaming RPGs, PC RPGs, now we call them Western RPGs, may not have found the success they did on consoles if it wasn't for Final Fantasy VII. Just because when you hear the word RPG, um, you know, before Final Fantasy VII came out, you get a lot of what's that or that's what nerds play, even though video game players were already considered to be nerds. Like, you're even nerdier than the nerds. So, well, at that time, yeah, I mean, at that time, if you said RPG, then you're probably referencing a a computer RPG. So you're talking like Ultima or or something to that effect, which is like basically digital Dungeons and Dragons. So, yeah, we're we're a bunch of freaking. Yeah, super stat intensive, uh, super micromanaging, everything like that. So now you get Final Fantasy seven and you bring all those people in. And who knows if a game like Jay Cocoon or uh, Knights of the Old Republic, when it came to the Xbox, if those would have mainline success or the Mass Effect series would be picked up and accepted like it was by the console market when it was definitively a PC RPG. I credit Square a lot for bringing that into the fold and really diversifying the RPG market and allowing more Western RPGs to probably flourish. Now, people can disagree with me all day. They say it would have been mainstream in the market anyway. But I really think it it allowed people to be like, okay, games can be more complicated than collecting bullshit and going from left to right. And I think Final Fantasy opened that up <laughs> for the mainstream gamer. And by extension square. So would you would you say that part of Final Fantasy VII's success for Square was also because it was the not only was it the jump to polygonal graphics for the final fantasy series but also that it handled it well enough to be successful and the reason i throw that caveat on the end there is because there were a number of ips that tried to make the jump to uh 3d that failed miserably well, i would say final fantasy 7 did it more in the way of style through substance 
and they did it mm-hmm. very successfully. I don't know how many of the 9.8 million people walked away from Final Fantasy VII saying it was great, but I know that there are people who I typically don't see as your RPG fans who still know about Final Fantasy VII. Um, and remember, these, this is something that was advertised on MTV with its FMV scenes. And its FMV scenes back in 1997 were amazing. So yeah, when you saw it on MTV and you're like, oh, my God, this is breaking out to the mainstream, which is I think like people like me uh, kind of didn't want to see it be as successful as it was, you know, stupidly, of course. But because this was our niche little hobby, this is something that like in playing lesser known RPGs, before that, like, oh, I played Super Mario RPG. I'm special. I found a nugget. No one else has this. It's 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 mine, you know, and the people who came around me. And, of course, the community would grow, and it was always nice to find someone that you associated that similar game style with. Now, everyone who's never played an RPG before is telling you Final Fantasy VII is the greatest RPG ever released. I'm like, well, what was your first RPG? Oh, Final Fantasy VII. Oh, okay. Um... So you have no other experience <laughs> with the genre, but you're willing to tell me this is the best one ever made. Well, I didn't like the other ones. We never played them. That doesn't matter. Okay, fine. Um, but that's you are you are going full grognard here, I, Chris. I, I, I guess that. I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing with like uh, that. That brings to mind like World of Warcraft for me, uh-huh. right? Like I will always say that WoW is the best MMO ever because that's the one that. That's the first one I played. Like, I've talked to other people where the hill they want to die on is that, like, Ultima Online is the best MMO or EverQuest was because that was the first one they played. Mm-hmm. So, to a certain extent, I, I get where people are coming from with that. Like, if FF7 was the first one they ever played, then obviously that's kind of their litmus test going forward, mm-hmm. I guess. But, um, but uh, circling back to something other than um, Cloud Strife's Epic... Uh, the Kingdom Hearts stuff, because I did want to uh, mention that. I'm I'm actually surprised at myself that I completely forgot to even bring that up until you mentioned yeah. it. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I came to that one late, too, but I've actually come to that. I think you know this, but that's actually probably one of my favorite game series now. And it, it, if I am being objective about it, it has no right to be, <laughs> really. Um, it's a convoluted mess of a story but there's just something about it that just grabs me i don't know i just i really enjoy it uh and so i kind of went on a kick a while back and went through and started playing all of the kingdom hearts games including the um the spin-off ones on the handhelds and, and what have you and i'm not 100 percent finished with that task yet um i'm currently in the midst of playing recoded on my 3ds um, but, uh, that one, if I had to pick anything from Square's catalog that they've sort of amassed over their years, um, Kingdom Hearts is, is definitely the one that, that I have the most affection for, um, for sure. Yeah. And we will probably, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about Kingdom Hearts here real soon. And, uh, just, just an inkling about, yeah, you know, about I, that. It, it could happen. It could happen. And yeah. I do want to go back to the last point, the last fun fact you brought up, because we are talking yeah. about kind of the evolution of Square and how it merged with Enix. Mm-hmm. Um, Squaresoft was the less, I would want to, I don't want to say successful company, but less profitable company at the time. Um, right. 
Of course, like I alluded to Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, which is a terrible movie. I paid money to see that in a theater. I did as well. And it was terrible. Awful. It was plain awful. If you get some enjoyment from it, good for you. But I didn't. And a lot of other people don't. Um, I know how you feel because there are Square games that I feel that way about, like Saga Frontier. And I love the Saga series until I die. If you don't, well, fuck you. I love it. But um, <laughs> so when you look at Enix... And people are like, well, no one in the West really knew about Enix, uh, especially in Europe. And as a side note, Europe, I'm sorry, because you totally got screwed out of everything when it comes to RPGs. Uh, because, of course, we're talking very Amerocentric and how my love for Square, but you guys pretty much got railroaded. So, sorry, Europe. Um, you got the Master System, though, and that was fun, right? But <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> Hooray. But when we get back to uh, Enix and Square, everyone's like, oh, you know... Square, 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 especially here in the West. People tend to forget Dragon Warrior 7 or Dragon Quest 7 in Japan outsold Final Fantasy 7 in Japan. And Dragon Quest 7 looks like a heavily souped up Super Nintendo game that was released in either 2000 or 2001. And it sold 4.12 million copies in Japan alone. That's how powerful NX was. Like, it had brand name recognition. It had a brand name following. And if you say, well, that's because Akira Toriyama of Dragon Ball Z fame was associated with uh, Dragon Quest, you have to remember, like, Tobal Number 1 didn't sell gangbusters because Tor Toriyama was on it. Chrono Trigger sold well because that was a dream project and had just more than uh, uh, Toriyama. But you also had, like, Yuji Horii, and I forgot the name of the composer. I'm sorry, not trying to be disrespectful to him, but he was also a popular figure. But you had Dragon Quest Seven going nuts with sales and Enix was just making money hand over fist and mm -hmm. Squaresoft of course wanted to make movies so when you want to make movies and your movies don't make money you lose money and as a video game company they weren't like Sony or any of those other companies who do our multi who are diversified before they jumped into movies so yeah it was it was a real bad situation so when people think you know why would square merge with enix why is enix the more powerful company is because in japan enix never faltered and square made some terrible financial decisions uh right before the merger that almost completely sunk the company yeah but i mean yeah and and as we mentioned in our little fun fact there too i mean that really did help kind of honestly round out both companies it, it by combining both of them they each individually had uh characteristics the other did not so it tactically it made a whole hell of a lot of sense for them to become one entity and then they had a you know a much more holistic approach to you know marketing to you know multiple audiences not just predominantly in japan so obviously it worked out well for him. Oh, by the way, another interesting fun fact, how Square acquired Enix. Yeah. Not Enix. I'm sorry. Eidos. Oh, yeah. Do you know who published the PC version of Final Fantasy VII? I'm going to go with Eidos. Eidos did. Eidos was the publisher, of course. Yeah, that was really hard. Um, <laughs> <Eidos> published, <laughs> Next question. Yes. Eidos published Final Fantasy VII for the PC, and I believe Final Fantasy VIII. They published a lot of Square's efforts over to the PC when they had PC efforts. So it kind of went full circle and Squaresoft was like, okay, now we own you because you've killed Tomb Raider and that's all you had. So thanks for, thanks for the past. And we're going to do this correctly. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, you know, I, let's let's not forget things like you know, Legacy of Kane or, or or Deus Ex. Those are also really quality series. That Kane, a little lesser known, I think these days, but that was because it was mostly a PC centric title anyway. But um, well, Deus Ex I, really hit its stride after Square got him. Eh, yeah, I, I guess you could say that. I don't know. I um see, this is where the the grognard in me is coming out now because I played the original deus ex back in the day and i still think that that's one of one of the best games made in that particular genre they did a pretty good job with it well same with tomb raider one and two but then they just didn't do anything after that except make shit yeah well yeah deus ex invisible war is hot garbage but you know i'm sure we'll probably talk about that series (laughs) at some point too Mm -hmm. so before we wrap this up because we're getting to that point we um, are what is your favorite square game and what Mm. is your least favorite square game ah <laughs> uh, okay let's see favorite probably oh man kingdom hearts 2 that's that's and a good choice that's solid i was either gonna go with that or or actually tactics advance because i really liked that game um but i think kingdom hearts 2 beats it out so i would go with that least favorite um based on the ones that i've had actual personal experience with so far Man, I don't know. I, I never I haven't really disliked any of them. That's kind of what I mentioned before. Um for what it's worth, like they've they've got pretty quality titles. Uh I don't know if I could pick one. I know that that's like kind of a a shitty answer, but I don't think I have a least favorite. Or if I did, it would probably it would probably be Final Fantasy 7, but uh, I can't wait until that episode because I think we're going to get a lot of hate from all the Final Fantasy fans by the way you're It's going to be great. Oh, God. I, uh, it's going to be a rough one. <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. So what about yours? Personally, uh, I would say it's I would say it's a tie for first. Um, I don't want to say a tie because I got to pick one, right? But the tie would be between Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy Tactics for the uh, original PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's a lot of other great games I would like to say, of course, because they're so good. Chrono Trigger is just it's it's head and shoulders. It gets better and better every single time I look better. Like, look back at it. Uh, how it was made, how it was developed, the balance it was developed with, who created it, what the plan was, and how it all came together. Current Trigger is a fantastic game. If you can get it, get it. I don't know. I think they fixed the Steam version. I don't get the PlayStation version. It's it's shit. But any other version is is decent. I think they fixed the Steam version, so it's there for fifteen dollars, probably the cheapest one. Uh, play it on the three DS. With a, it's it was released for the DS, but you well, can play it on a three DS. Yeah. You can play it on a three DS. Yes. Yes. Um, least favorite. I don't want to go for the low-hanging fruit. So, like, Final Fantasy... Like, Final Fantasy 2 is shit. So, not what I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, like, Final Fantasy 2 is shit. Like, like let's let's get that out of the way. But Final Fantasy 2 wasn't released in the United States. I didn't play a lot of... Uh, there's, there's a lot of games that I, I really don't want to go for because, like, they're on the Game Boy, and I kind of understand Game Boy games are Game Boy games. Um, so, I'm going to go... I'm going to pick my most controversial... Uh, position on what the worst game, my least favorite Square game is. I'm going to say Bushido Blade. Aha. Uh-huh. Also, I just thought of it. Um, I, w- I would like to change my answer. Okay. Yeah. Least favorite game, uh, coincidentally, also in the Kingdom Hearts series, ch- uh, Chain of Memories. Fuck that game. Oh, for that's pretty terrible. It's pretty That's bad all game. I have to say. That okay. card system in that game sucks balls. But anyway, go on. So, okay. So I'm going to stick with Bushido Blade. And I understand a lot of people love it, but when I got it, I was expecting a fighting game. 
And I guess why that's a lot of people love it, because it's not your traditional fighting game. It's more based off realism, one strike can kill. So here I am. I'm just, I can't remember how old I was. I'm usually 13, 14 years old, sometime around there. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, it says fight. I'm going to kill this dude. And so every single get to the end and like, you're dishonorable. I'm like, I'm playing the game like a fighting game. I'm going to kill and nothing's telling me to do otherwise. And I'm like, it has all this open space. You can run around, but there's no point in running around it. Really? Just, just, I guess, I don't know. Why are you running away from your opponent when the point is to fight them? Like has all this open space, which is really cool, but you're not doing anything with it. And I'm bitching about it. I'm sure so what you're worse. saying yeah. is that we're we're gonna we're gonna tell people to look forward to a future episode about Bushido. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. We're not gonna no, no. Please don't. Okay, don't. fine. <laughs> but I'm sure there are worse games because I, I've heard I haven't played it, but like Parasite Eve two is supposed to be worse. I didn't like Saga Frontier two is is probably a lot of other people did, and I'm sure there's travesties like Front Mission Online that I didn't play um, that came out for the 360. But that's a Square Enix game, so that doesn't count. But yeah. that's where I stand, and I think. That pretty much brings us to the conclusion of this episode. I think it does. So um, as we are always want to do, uh, we quickly mention that uh, there are a number of avenues for you, the listener, to get in touch with us, should you so desire. Uh, we exist on just about every major social media platform. Um, but if you want to up your chances of uh, getting in touch, uh, we would recommend probably uh, shooting us a message or a comment on our Instagram. Um, we're there most often, uh, followed closely by the Facebook page. Uh, if you would like, you can also send an email. Um, but I don't think most people do that anymore. So we'll see how that shakes out. But uh, I do want to mention real quick uh, that we we have kind of been doing this uh, the past several episodes. And, and I think it's good because I, I, I think we want to recognize some of the folks that have kind of been here with us or, or the ones that are kind of making themselves known because we do love you guys and we do care that you are actually listening to us ramble about this shit. <laughs> um, but uh, we always want to give a shout out to our, uh, our super fan, Sam. He's always there backing us up. Um, I would also like to uh, give an extra shout out to uh, my buddy, Lyle. He uh, he's been supporting the show since its inception and um, I uh, I super appreciate that, as does Chris. And additionally, I also wanted to throw another one out there uh, to a relatively new follower of ours uh, by the name of Cassandra. Um, so if you are listening, we appreciate the heck out of you, too. Um, we've been seeing you pop up on our Facebook and our Instagram, and we love it. So thank you. Yeah, and, and everyone else, if you're listening to this and we didn't say your name, um, we, we still appreciate you. You know, we love we love you listening to our stuff. It's Absolutely. just it's just, you know, shout outs are limited. So if you want to hear your name, shout out, just just like our crap and comment on our stuff and <laughs> we'll say nice things about you. There um, you go. <laughs> um, but in any case, like I'll throw this out there. If you want to if you want to hear a future episode or you have a suggestion for a future episode, or just want to hear our takes on stuff, by all means, you know, post that on one of our social media whatevers. And, uh, of course, we'll consider it if it's within the realm of our talking points. And uh, we'd absolutely love to get back to the people who are listening to this. For sure. So with uh, with all of that said, until next time. Happy gaming. And, yeah, joystick stuff. Mm-hmm.